Is Christianity unique, or is it basically the same as other religions? This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukarin. Pat Zukarin is a scholar, author, apologist, and speaker who defends the faith all over the world. My name is Kevin Harris. Today, Pat presents the case that Christianity is unique among world religions, makes radical claims, and has the evidence to back up those claims. Here's Pat with today's message, Degrees of Separation. You know, in our culture today, you often hear people say that all religions are the same. And before I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that's exactly what I thought. I thought all religions, in essence, teach the same thing. However, the more I learned about Christianity, the more I studied the Bible, the more I studied the life of Christ, I soon came to realize that Christianity is unique from all the other religions in some very significant ways. First of all, Christianity teaches a unique relationship. Christianity teaches God as Father. In other words, the Creator of the universe is both transcendent but also imminent. God is the ruler and the creator of this great universe. If you go out and just gaze at the stars tonight upon this lovely campsite here, we live in an incredibly great, majestic, and spacious, and awesome universe. It's incredible to think that the one who created this vast, huge universe just spoke it into existence with his word. But the God who created this great universe also invites us to have a close relationship with Him. God interacts directly with His people in a close and intimate way. In fact, Jesus surprised a lot of people when He taught His disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. In Psalm 8, verses 3 through 4, the psalmist reflects in wonder as he says, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should even care for them. The God of the universe invites us into a close and intimate relationship with Him. That's something significant here. And the images of an intimate relationship are drawn out throughout the Old and New Testament. The images that are used are shepherd and his sheep. How a shepherd knows each of his little lambs by name, knows their needs, and they know him and they know his voice and he cares for them in a very intimate way. How about the image of the prodigal son? You know, wherever I travel in the world, if I just say the prodigal son, people know what I'm talking about from all cultures. Here we have a young man who asked his father for his inheritance early, took it, spent it on wild, licentious living, returned home after he came to his senses, defeated dragging his feet, hanging his head down, he came home, and the father ran out to greet his son. That's a picture of God the Father. He's the one running out to meet his son. His son doesn't come running to the father. The father goes running to the son. What a powerful image. Another one that's used in the Old and New Testament, a husband and wife relationship. There's no more intimate and intense a relationship than that. And that's the image that God uses in reflecting his relationship with His people. I mean, look at some of these verses here. First Peter 5, 7, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Oh, the God of the universe invites us to cast our worries, the things that make us anxious, our intimate secrets, cast it upon Him because He cares for us in a deep way. Well, John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. And the word know here means to know in a very intimate way. Just as my Father knows me and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. That's powerful imagery there that is drawn upon to demonstrate the intimate relationship that we can have with God the Father. Other religions teach 
in their system, God is either non-existent, unnecessary, or He is unattainable. For example, in Islam, the relationship Allah has with His people is a slave-master kind of relationship. It's more distant there. In Hinduism, behind all the deities is the one, Brahma, who is an impersonal divine essence. He's not a person. He's a force. He's the one. And you don't have a personal relationship with Brahma. In the animistic or tribal religions, there's no relationship with the Father, the God of all the gods, but one must appease the lesser gods, and therefore adherents of the tribal religions are driven by fear, because you don't want to tick these lesser gods off. They're going to come and do something to you. Buddhism. In original Buddhism, God does not play a part in original Buddhism. In fact, Buddha says very little about God or divine beings. Confucius. It's a philosophical system, and really, God doesn't play any major part in the Confucius system. Christianity teaches God is Father, that the God of the universe invites us into a close and personal relationship with Him. That's one of the important things that drew me to Christianity. I first heard the message of the gospel when I was 18 years old, a senior in high school, and I remember sleeping in the back of the church. But when I woke up finally near the end of the service, the pastor just said two verses that changed my life forever. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, and I woke up because I understood for the first time what Christianity was all about, that the God of the universe invited me into a close personal relationship with Him. So much so, He said, hey, bring your burdens, put them on my shoulders because I want to carry them and I want to give you rest. Man, that surprised me. Nobody cares about any other person's problems in that way, so much so that they want to carry your burdens and give you rest. You know, most people in the life that I encountered up till then were saying, hey, don't bother me with your problems. I got no problems of my own. Take care of your own problems. But here the God of the universe invites us to place our burdens on Him, and He wants to give us rest. Man, that was really surprising. And then Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, and I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And I did a double take on that. Here the God of the universe says, I promise to be in a personal relationship with you, and I'll never leave you or forsake you. In the best or the worst of times, I'll never leave you. No one makes that kind of commitment here in our lifetime. No other being makes that kind of commitment to us. Even in marriage, what do we say at the end of our vows? Until death do us, what? Part. That's right. Someday we'll be separated from the one we love the most. But in the Great Commission, the God of the universe said, I'm committed to be in a relationship with you even to the very end of the age. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Teaching God as inviting us into a personal relationship with Him is what makes Christianity very unique. A second unique quality is Christianity's Savior, Jesus Christ. Christianity teaches a very unique Savior. In Christ, we have the unique one and only Son of God, the Creator, becoming a man. And Jesus Christ was a historical person. He's not a mythical person, not some kind of mythical demigod in the Greek religions. Jesus Christ was a historical person who claimed to be the unique divine Son of God and confirmed His claim in several miraculous ways. Christ claimed to be the divine Son of God and His disciples and also those who opposed Christ understood His claims. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me. And He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. The Father and I 
are one. And it says further on in this passage that the Jews took up stones to stone him for blasphemy because he, a mere man, was claiming to be God. They understood his claim. His enemies understood his claim and his disciples also understood his claim. John 1.1, 1, 1. his disciple John says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Colossians chapter 1, Paul articulates that Christ created all things. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He's the one who holds all things together. So in Christ, we have the unique Son of God, and the incarnation is unique because the God of the universe becomes flesh. He was not a, a manifestation or some kind of representation of God. He was the divine Son of God who became man. And Jesus lived a sinless, miraculous life, confirming His claim to be the divine Son of God. This cannot be said of any other religious leader. Other religions present teachers or guides, but we understand that they are human beings. Buddha claimed to be the way-shower. Muhammad claimed to be a prophet of God. The Dalai Lama claims to be a manifestation of the Buddha. And any miracle accounts arise generations later and are of a legendary nature. However, in Christ, we have first century eyewitnesses who give an accurate historical account of Jesus Christ who claimed to be the divine Son of God and confirmed His claim through His sinless, miraculous life, death, and resurrection. That is something unique. And my understanding of God's love changed when I came to understand that it was God the Son on the cross dying for you and for me. It was God who created the universe, who wanted so much to have a personal relationship with us, valued each one of us so much, He died upon the cross for you and me. That's a, a very, very unique Savior. That's a very unique message, that the God of the universe became a man and died so that we could have everlasting life and a relationship with Him. Third, Christianity presents a unique historical event the resurrection of Christ and the victory over death. And this is a well-documented historical event. The historical evidence confirms that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul states that Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by more than 500 of His followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then He was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw Him. The resurrection of Christ was witnessed by over 500 people. There are multiple resurrection appearances that have been recorded over a 40-day period. And no other religion has such an event that their Savior died and rose again as a historical event. Any kind of death or resurrection in the other religions, we understand them to be mythical and legendary. But in Christianity, we have a unique event. God the Son died for our sins, conquered sin and death, and rose again. The resurrection is something that is unique to Christianity. Other religious leaders have died, and none of them make the claim to be the source of everlasting life. Muhammad died, and he's buried in Medina. Buddha is buried in Nepal. Confucius is buried in China. Jesus Christ alone died and rose again from the dead. I remember I was speaking to a follower of the Baha'i faith. And we had a great conversation. He was sharing with me the basic beliefs of the Baha'is. And its founder, Baha'u'llah, lived in the late 1800s. And he believed that God had revealed Himself through several prophets throughout the centuries. He named some of them Abraham, Moses, Buddha, Krishna, Zoroaster, Christ, and Muhammad. And he said, well, all of these were teaching, in essence, the same thing 
and were different manifestations of the divine. And after he was done, I said, you know, there's a big difference between Jesus Christ and all these other men that you named. And he said, what's the difference? I said, well, here's the big difference. All of them are dead. They're buried in the ground and they have died. Jesus Christ is alive. That's a very significant difference here. And that's one of the uniquenesses of Christianity. You have the divine Son of God who died and conquered sin and death through the resurrection. It's a unique historical event. Fourth, Christianity presents unique confirmation of its message. In Christianity, you have something unique because a supernatural message is confirmed by a large amount of evidence. The Bible is confirmed to be an accurate historical work. Thousands of archaeological and historical discoveries confirm its events and characters. The miraculous life of Christ, upon which Christianity revolves and is built on, the miraculous life of Christ is confirmed by historical evidence. The Gospels, which record his life, are an accurate historical work written in the first century in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. We've got a lot of historical evidence that backs up that claim. And Christianity is built upon the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And the followers of Christ made sure they had a very accurate account of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, other religions may have supernatural stories, but they are mythical in nature and not historical. Or they may have had historical persons, but there is nothing supernatural in the life of the founders. Religions such as Hinduism has very many supernatural stories of gods who visit the earth. However, in Hinduism, there is not an attempt to relate the stories of their gods with historical evidence or accuracy. Most do not have the historical evidence to support their supernatural claims. The world religions are not built on the life, but rather the teachings of the founders, and historical accuracy is not essential to their teachings. Now, other religious leaders who are historical persons do not have a legacy of miracles such as Jesus Christ. Other religions are built on the teachings of the leaders. Christianity is built on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You know, when you study the life of Muhammad and you study the life of Buddha, the earliest records we have of the life of Buddha, you see, there's a big difference. Muhammad does no miracles. In the Quran, the people ask him, show us the sign that we may know that you are the prophet of Allah. And he says, well, simply look at the Quran, that is enough. The miracle accounts of Muhammad are not recorded, are not written down till centuries later, about 200 years later in the Hadith. And many of them are of a mythical sort. And we know through historical studies, A. and Sharon White did the most detailed study, one of the uh, best historians of modern time. And he shows that it takes about three to four generations after the death of the individual for legends to begin to develop. Why is that? Well, all the witnesses need to pass on from the scene. That's what you have in Islam about four generations later. Now you've got Muhammad doing all these miracles and all these miracle accounts popping up. Unlike Christianity, we've got first century eyewitness accounts that record the life and message of Jesus Christ. Buddha does no miracles. In fact, Buddha was not worshipped as a divine being until about 400 years later. In the earliest records we have of Buddha's teachings and his writings and his biography, he's understood to be a man. A great teacher, but he's understood to be a man. Buddha and Muhammad, in the earliest works, do no miracles. Very different from Jesus Christ. Fifth, we have a unique message of salvation. Christianity teaches salvation by grace. And understand, grace is a gift that is given that is not deserved. It is from God to us, not from us to God. Right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works that any man should boast. 
Other religions are works-based. It is man trying to reach up to God. Salvation or liberation from the cycle of reincarnation is achieved by works. Balancing the scales of good and bad deeds or good and bad karma through means of devotion or work or dedication. In Islam, there is an angel on every man's left and right. And on Judgment Day, his works are weighed by the angels. And if his good works outweigh his bad works, and depending on the grace of Allah, he may be allowed into paradise. In Hinduism, you're in an endless cycle of reincarnation. And it's either through meditation, good works, or devotion to a particular deity that one can attain a higher life in the next cycle of reincarnation. And hopefully one day, break that cycle of reincarnation. Buddhism, one is in an endless cycle of reincarnation until they enter into a state of nirvana, a state of nothingness. How is that attained? Well, by following the Eightfold path. Mormonism, one attains godhood or exaltation. How? Through good works. Now, closely related to number five is the sixth characteristic. Christianity teaches a unique assurance. Only in Christianity do you have an assurance of salvation. Only in Christianity is a person 100% sure they have eternal life. See, the Bible teaches, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, that we are all sinners, guilty of sin, falling short of God's standard. And the penalty for sin, death, eternal separation from God. That is guaranteed. However, in Christ, we have a perfect sacrifice, one who pays the full penalty for our sin. And because we have that, we can have 100% assurance that we'll have everlasting life because we have a perfect sacrifice who paid the penalty for all of our sins. In other religions, people understand that they have fallen short of the standard. However, there is no perfect sacrifice for falling short of the standard, whatever it may be. Islam teaches works, but no Muslim knows for sure that they did enough to enter into paradise. Buddhism teaches the elimination of desire that breaks the cycle of reincarnation, but there's no assurance that one will not be reincarnated again. No one knows in Buddhism if they did enough. Hinduism teaches works and there's no assurance of deliverance from the cycle of reincarnation either. I remember I was speaking to a Muslim and he was trying to explain to me that Islam is indeed built upon a system of grace. Salvation is based on grace. And I said, how is that? I, I, I haven't heard that. Explain that to me. He said, well, we do our best, and then on Judgment Day, we pray that Allah will extend His grace to us. And when Allah extends His grace, we may enter into paradise. So it's a grace-based system, not works, just like Christianity. And we were going back and forth, I was trying to understand a little bit. And finally, I, I said, all right, are you 100% sure that on the Day of Judgment, you will enter into paradise? Are you 100% sure? And then he, he wouldn't answer me. And I said, you're not 100% sure, are you? You can't be. Not even Muhammad was 100% sure that he would enter into paradise. How do you know? The Hadith, chapter 5, 266. Muhammad stated he did not know what his eternal destiny would be. The grace of Allah is given arbitrarily. You don't know if you're going to get it or not. Hopefully you will. Well, in Christianity, you have a Savior who paid the full price for sin. And so by trusting in Him, you can have everlasting life. Therefore, a Christian can be 100% sure. But in Islam, because there's no Savior that paid the price for their sin, it is still a works-based system. And when you get there to Judgment Day, you don't know if Allah will extend His grace to you or not. He may or He may not. But you don't have 100% certainty, not even there 
leader, Muhammad, had that kind of certainty. Number seven, Christianity has a unique prophetic legacy. The Bible contains over 700 specific prophecies. Now, biblical prophecy is superior in number and in detail than the uh, prophecies from the other world religions. Numerous individuals and events are predicted years, sometimes centuries, before they occur. And according to Deuteronomy 18, a prophecy given by God must be 100% accurate. And that's what you have in the Bible. Now, in other religions, there are no fulfilled prophecies and if there are some prophecies, they're very vague and very general. You know, the Book of Mormon predicts Columbus discovering America, but the earliest Book of Mormon we have was written in the mid-1800s. There are no prophecies in the Quran. Now, when I'm speaking on prophecy, often I hear the name Nostradamus. Well, Nostradamus was an occult astrologer. He's believed to have predicted several things. But if you study his prophecies, and he wrote many prophecies, most of them did not come true. Here's one of the more famous prophecies here, the prophecy of Adolf Hitler. Many people claim that Nostradamus predicted the rise of Adolf Hitler. Well, here, prophecy of Nostradamus is the prediction of Adolf Hitler. Let me read it for you. In the year that is to come soon, and not far from Venus, the two great ones of Asia Africa shall be said to come from the Rhine and Ister. Crying and tears shall be at Malta on the Italian shore. All right, you get it? You see the prophecy of Adolf Hitler in there? Some of you are got that troubled look on your face. It's pretty vague, isn't it? Well, the prophecy of Hitler is this word Ister here, from the Rhine and Ister. Many believe that this word Ister here is really Hitler. According to Ray Comfort here in his book, The Secrets of Nostradamus, the commentary that he writes here, when he's speaking of the Rhine, he's speaking of a river, and when he's speaking of Ister, he's also speaking of a river. So in the context, he's not predicting a German military leader. Here, Ister, he's talking about the lower Danube. And that's how it's translated in other translations, uh, Ray Comfort says. And that's the great prophecy of Adolf Hitler. Very different from biblical prophecy, which gives some pretty specific details about the individuals and events that it predicts. So Christianity is unique in its legacy of prophecy. And finally, the eighth characteristic is that Christianity teaches a unique understanding of man. Christianity teaches that man is spiritually dead. Romans 6.23, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Colossians 2, verse 13 says that man is spiritually dead and can do nothing to save himself from the eternal judgment that is to come. Man can do nothing. In Christianity, God does it all. God sends His one and only Son to rescue us from the inevitable judgment of sin and death. Other religions acknowledge that man has problems, but has the ability to correct the situation through self-effort. Islam teaches that man is weak and needs the discipline taught in the Quran. Hinduism teaches man is in essence divine and must attain oneness with the divine through meditation or devotion or good works. Buddhism teaches man must eliminate his desire and enter into a state of nirvana. You know, modern psychology, where it goes wrong, is on this very foundation. Modern psychology that does not account for the sinful nature of man and his need to restore his relationship with the one who created him that a lot of the problems that we have is due to our sin nature. When psychology, modern psychology doesn't account for that on its foundational premise and diagnosis, it goes wrong. Christianity teaches a unique understanding of man, that he is a sinner separated from God in need of restoration of a relationship with the one who created him. So here are eight ways that Christianity stands unique from other worldviews and world religions. You know, when I first heard the presentation of the gospel, 
that the God of the universe desperately wanted a personal relationship with me, so much so that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross so that he could have a personal relationship with me, that that relationship could be made possible. When I first heard and understood that message, I was impressed by what a wonderful, majestic message this was. The God of the universe died for me so that I could enter into a personal relationship with him. It was a unique message that I had never heard before. And many who come out of non-Christian backgrounds, when they come to understand that message, it's a powerful message because it's, there's not one like it here upon this earth. And what became more surprising was that as I further investigated this wonderful message, I investigated its claims, one of the surprising things was that this message was not only wonderful, but it was indeed true. Everlasting life has come through God's Son, Jesus Christ. We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerin on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name but just a few. You'll find Pat Zuckerman's interviews with leading scholars and speakers on the most crucial issues facing the church and the world. Go to evidenceandanswers.org and be equipped. And right now, there's a free offer from Evidence and Answers, Pat's teaching on the Da Vinci Code deception. The Da Vinci Code book and movie will continue to impact the world for some time. And you can expect sequels and spinoffs to continue to influence people to doubt the claims of Jesus Christ. So get Pat's teaching on this important subject for free. It's yours for the asking. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and click on Contact Pat. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. Don't forget about the free offer we have, Pat's teaching in front of a live audience on the Da Vinci Code deception. Go there now. God bless and thanks so much for listening. Evidenceandanswers.org.